You're listening to the Driving Confidence Podcast for drivers who want to be calm and confident on the road. We will be sharing tips, stories and advice to beat driving nerves and anxiety and build your driving confidence. Whether you are just starting out as a learner or have had your driving license for years, if you want to transform how you feel about driving, this podcast is for you. In today's episode, we're welcoming Joshua Fletcher, sometimes known as Anxiety Josh. Josh is a psychotherapist working with anxiety and panic. He's a best-selling author of three books, as well as being a podcast host on his own podcast, The Panic Pod. So, welcome, Josh. Hi, thanks for having me on. I'm uh, looking forward to today's episode. So, Josh, obviously we deal with driving. How would you describe driving anxiety i suppose that's a yeah. massive question to start with but yeah for me there's two main reasons people develop driving anxiety the first one is the conventional reason uh these are usually people that have probably had a bad experience behind the wheel whether it's driving themselves or whether it's being a passenger or witnessing something um maybe it's someone else having an accident and uh, I call it a conventional fear and phobia. You would do, wouldn't you, if you've seen something, experienced something, your threat response, the amygdala in your brain will remember that. And so the next time you see a car, you'd be like, ah, you know, I'm going to remind you of that. Some people have been in quite serious accidents. They'll be like, they'll have a traumatic memories and, and reminders of that. But that's quite rare. The, the vast majority of people with driving anxiety, however, have not been involved in accidents as, as such. There are people who developed a form of inward disordered anxiety, um, which has agoraphobic tendencies. And I'm also this person as well, because I've also been there. I did not sit behind a wheel for years. Um, and this was because I was afraid of how I would feel. You know you've got driving anxiety when you constantly behind the wheel and dictated by what ifs. You're afraid of the mostly the anxiety itself. So I'm going to avoid this A road just in case I panic. I'm not going to drive in the fast lane of the motorway just in case I freak out and turn into the central embankment and cause a 50-car pileup and, and whatever. And the stakes high in this. I'm driving my kids, I'm driving my family, I'm driving whatever. And it often overlaps with agoraphobia. Uh, and that is, I can only do a certain amount of things. Uh, so, so a lot of people, most people driving anxiety can actually drive, but they'll only drive certain routes at a certain time of day, a certain distance, they'll avoid certain roads. Uh, again, this was me. And some people just avoid it completely. But why I say it links to agoraphobia is that agoraphobia is the belief that if we leave a safe space or a space outside of our what we believe that we can control ourselves in, something awful might happen. Um, and for me personally, that's what happened. I wouldn't drive outside my town. It all started where I started avoiding the fast lane of the motorway and then the motorway altogether and then A roads. And then I'd avoid doing certain things. I'd, I'd then I'd avoid being a passenger in a car and then I'd avoid doing everything. And it slowly just started to develop very similarly to agoraphobia, where if people would avoid going somewhere far away and then they come home and et cetera. But yeah, for me, whistle stop tour, that's mostly what I work with, with, with driving anxiety. I want to work out why you're afraid and is it the actual driving you're afraid of or is it I'm afraid of the anxiety itself? There's so many things in there. <laughs> so I've never thought about that link with agoraphobia. That's never occurred to me before in all the things that I've looked at and read and all the people we've worked with. But yes, absolutely, that fear of going outside of your safe space. Yeah. I did. Did I, uh, talking of that then, did you feel safe within the car? For me, it was, I used to really, I, I love, enjoy, I do enjoy driving again, by the way. So if you're someone who used to enjoy driving, didn't, and started driving, I love driving. Um, I think I said to you before we press record, I just recently drove to Portugal from Manchester and it was a wonderful journey. Um, but back in the in the midst of driving anxiety, I would not, I could, even looking at the car, even someone inviting me, go um I, I my driving anxiety was so bad i wouldn't even get taxis uh or yeah it, it was pretty bad um because it was actually a kind of 
my association with the car was agoraphobia and also claustrophobia. I don't like being in here if someone else is driving or if I'm driving, I don't want to lose control. I don't want to feel the sensations of anxiety and panic. Some of those sensations include uh, heart palpitations, derealization, sudden overwhelm, everything becomes bright, peripheral vision shuts down, sweaty palms, you know, feeling a bit sick, winding down the window, doing all these things. Um, I didn't like that. And that my threat response, my fear response, had developed an association that the car was suddenly now dangerous. So even thinking about doing a journey triggered my threat response and I'd feel sick and horrible and my mood would change. Never mind getting in the car. But thankfully, associations can change. So now I can get into a car and and, and be like, yeah. Or just a normal association, like, oh, I can't bother driving, you know, rather than having fear dictating. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it was I felt I feel safe in the car now, and I used to, but the association with the with the car during that phobia, during that anxiety, yeah, it definitely changed temporarily. And so one of the I mean, this is one of the reasons we've started to go out and speak to other people, is we hear from a lot of people about exactly the same as you used to be able to drive i've been driving for however long and then suddenly one day i'm driving and bam i'm whammed with mystery driving anxiety or actually more specifically mystery anxiety while driving which then becomes (laughs) like you say associations becomes driving anxiety and Mm. that's sort of part of what we're looking at what is it that happens to somebody when they're suddenly whammed with this anxiety out of the blue? Why does that happen? Um, that's a really good question. And for me, one of the biggest components to overcoming driving anxiety is psychoeducation. It's actually learning what's happening. So what happens is when your body feels under threat, a process called neuroception happens where your threat response kicks in and, and the amygdala in your brain signals to the rest of the body you know, fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. Go, something bad's going to happen. And you get a big dump of adrenaline. So if you've ever sat behind the wheel and your hands are shaking, you've had to pull over or you're doing all these things, that's your threat response kicking off. That's your adrenaline. You feel like you're going to lose control. You don't lose control, but it feels like it, and you feel like you might do. Um, that's the whole point of a of an adrenaline rush, or some people call it a panic attack. I don't call it a panic attack because it's not very accurate. You're not Nothing's attacking you, but it does feel scary and very imminent. So what happens is when you are driving along, and sometimes people can have panic, loads of people have panic attacks behind the wheel, usually nothing to do with driving. It's usually stress to do with their own lives. And there's an accumulation of stress and accumulation of stress. This threat response, the amygdala, is not part of our thinking brain. It will just detect that you're incredibly stressed and trigger just in case it's trying to look after you like whoa why are you stressed maybe someone cut you up in the road maybe you know you went through um you know a a deep puddle maybe something happened another driver annoyed you maybe you just had a thought about work bang and you're hit with uh, a lot of adrenaline this is how most driving anxiety starts that feeling of i'm not in control and so therefore and this is the key thing to remember Driving anxiety mostly starts because then we engage in safety behaviors. So for me, my first panic attack happened on the fast lane of the motorway. And so I didn't know that was a panic attack as such. I thought something really bad was going to happen. And so I engaged in in CBT, we call it a safety behavior. So I was like, well, just in case I pulled over to the slow lane, but nothing bad happened. It was adrenaline rush. However, my amygdala remembered that I did a safety behavior. And so it goes... Well, next time you go on the motorway, don't go in the fast lane. I looked after you. Go in the fast, slow lane and the middle lane. And that's how my driving anxiety started. And suddenly, two months later, I'm planning journeys on Google Maps. I'm avoiding certain roads. I wouldn't go over bridges, you know, because of all these things. And I'm slowly developing these agoraphobic driving anxiety tendencies. Because uh, that's what the brain's supposed to do. You know, if my if you're bitten by a dog as a kid, your brain, your amygdala will fire off every time you hear a dog, see a dog, or on TV, whatever. But what's great is that you can rewire it, but you rewire it by doing the tricky stuff minus the safety behaviors. That's a very kind of quick way of explaining it. 
because it's a bit of a journey to overcome and driving anxiety, but that's part of it. And uh, for me, that's how I did it. Just practicing again, just I'm going to from severe anxiety to literally just sitting behind the wheel, not even turning the car on, just sitting there and letting the amygdala kick off, letting all the scary what ifs and the palpitations and the feelings of unease be there. And when, and it always comes, you know, it doesn't last forever. Your body can't produce that amount of adrenaline. Let it hit me. Don't respond. No safety behaviors. And then go again. And the next I drive down my street. Like, whoa, okay. And then I go into another street. And the brain starts to rewire itself again. Um, don't get me wrong. It's tricky. Sometimes you'll make mistakes and do some safety behaviors like I did. I went back on the motorway again. And then I was like, oh, no, I need to go on the hard shoulder. And then I was like, no, try again, you know, and stuff like that. But yeah, in general, in a nutshell, that's kind of how I challenge the the phobic side of driving, the claustrophobic, the agoraphobic side. I like that little tip there about the fact that it won't last forever. Nope. The adrenal gland can't keep producing adrenaline. It needs to recharge. It needs to, it, it will fire off as much as it can. And then it needs to reload almost. So it, it has to stop at some point. Definitely. And also the bonus is it will always stop. But when it stops and you, and the brain sees, the threat response sees that you've not changed your behavior, then the brain rewires too. So the amygdala literally rewires itself. It's called exposure therapy and it works. You know, that it works for most things. You know, if you, your first day at work, you're probably really nervous. Two weeks later, you're not because the you've not left work, the amygdala's just rewired itself. You know, a job interview, your first five, ten minutes, you're petrified. By the end of it, you feel quite good because the amygdala's rewired itself. Driving itself, when you first pass your driving test and, you, and you've got natural driving anxiety because you it's all new and you're on your own, the amygdala's going to rewire itself because then you practice driving. And then you know I, I invite clients to say, it was the last big journey that you did and they're like, oh, yeah. I mean, I've done journeys in my life where I've not even remembered driving. I've been listening to the radio. So I don't remember changing gears. I don't remember doing any of that because the amygdala isn't activated. However, when it is activated, it feels like, you know, it's trying to look after you. And that's what's really important. It's our behavior in that in that situation and a little bit at a time. It was for me anyway. <laughs> it's very interesting because, again, when we have people that are anxious and you know it's the first thing of okay well let's just sit you behind a wheel very similar to what you you've done there and then just you know what is it they're feeling and some of them it is quite a strong feeling because it's a steering wheel in front of them they've got the controls in front of them even though the engine's not on and the keys aren't ignition but just that thought of i'm sitting behind a steering wheel can just bring those emotions um, back yeah. out again. And it's it's really interesting you're saying that you've gone through it and it's like, you know, just little baby steps mm. that are going to rewire that link to say it's okay. Absolutely. I've been there. I've, I've, I've done it. It is scary. But you've got to remember is that anxiety is not the enemy. It's just been wired into a way where it's trying to help you. It now thinks that the steering wheel is dangerous. And what you're doing is you are showing the brain that this is no longer dangerous. But to do that, you have to sit through the threat response. Because I talked about the amygdala before, which is the conductor of that threat response. It's the sole reason why you feel anxious. And the only way that can rewire itself is when you're scared. This is really important. You have to be scared for it to rewire itself. Because it's imagine like an oyster and a pearl and stuff like that. Like It has to open up nor if you to, to get it, it will remain closed. This is why a lot of people um, fail with like kind of quick hacks and shortcuts and stuff. It was like, well, the amygdala is not going to rewire itself. So you can, you know, stand on your head and align your chakras and mantras and all these things and take all the supplements <laughs> in the world. But that's, that's not going to rewire your amygdala, you know, and they'll, you know, don't do it. Whereas what you guys are doing and sitting with people and sitting in front of the wheel, first step, yes, that is literally opening the amygdala prime for rewiring. And when that person doesn't leave the car and they start to feel a bit calm again, they've rewired their brain. Yeah, and they call it gradual exposure. You know, a little bit at a time, 
you ask them, well, how more, how confident are you now at sitting behind the wheel and not going anywhere? Actually, yeah, I'm just pretty bored now. Okay, then let's take the next step, you know, and take the next step. But yeah, this is, you have to be scared. The biggest, as an anxiety expert, the biggest misunderstanding is that people think that when they're anxious, that's the failure. It's like, no, that's step one. Like, that's how you rewire your brain. So, oh, no, I'm anxious again. Good. Carry on. Because that's what we have to do. If you're like, oh, no, I'm anxious again. I'm a failure. And then you ain't going to rewire your brain. Mm, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> that's just so important, isn't it? Because how many people are trying to overcome? I mean, for us, we're talking about driving anxiety. So how many people are trying to overcome their driving anxiety by continuing to avoid you know, not being willing to make a change. I mean, I will say that every Facebook group that I'm in, whenever I'm in anything and I say what we do, there is always, I can guarantee, there is always someone who will say, I really need you. But then they say they they don't really want to make a change. They're quite happy with the status quo. They, They don't want to do anything about it. And I guess it's because they don't want to feel... Yeah. that fear or those feelings no nor did i you know but what's really interesting is that when someone understood explained to me the cycle i was in and why it was happening i was like now i understand why i'm doing something scary there's something called the the, the cornerstone of i work with all anxiety disorders complex and whatnot but the cornerstone of everything that i do is practicing the willful tolerance of uncertainty it's a skill that you cultivate and so you know, I get people coming in here with panic attacks and generalized anxiety, OCD, many things. And they'll come in and they'll say, oh, Josh, I've had an amazing week. I wasn't anxious at all. And now for me, you know, okay, I'm, I'm happy about a chilled week, but I'm not that interested in that because that's not recovery. Recovery is, Josh, you know what? Five times this week I was anxious, but I did stuff anyway. I willfully tolerated my anxiety and actually I'm feeling a little bit more confident with it. And that's when I get the pom-poms out and start clapping because that's long-term change. Now, if you're someone who is trying to get there without ever feeling anxious ever again, then you're just thanking the threat response. And these are the people that often give the credit to other things. So depending where you are on your driving anxiety recovery journey some people just won't get behind the wheel at all that's fine you know what your next task is or you could just not you don't have to drive again it's completely up to you you know it's your choice or if you're like somewhere down the line like i can drive but my partner has to be with me or i can drive but i must have a diazepam nearby just in case or i can drive but i must have my cold bottle of water and ice cubes just in case i panic if you're that person, get rid of that immediately because you'll never wire the brain to get the credit. And it's these kind of things, and it's just like where you're at a little bit at a time. And that's what I did, just a little bit at a time. Took me a while, but got there. Until one day you'll be sitting there just daydreaming, driving. You'll be like, oh, wow, this didn't really feel like a thing. You know, like just daydreaming. <laughs> or you could be like me in the fast lane, daydreaming about driving and then going, oh my God, what if I do get anxious? And I started going, yeah. And and then I became anxious and then I started laughing. like, no, I'm not pulling over. I'm going to carry on. Uh, (laughs) I could just imagine your face now. It's just like... (laughs) Smiling to horror to smiling again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because everyone has those... We still do all have those thoughts, even if we don't suffer from driving anxiety. Things still happen and we still have those thoughts. It's what we do with them and where we go with them, isn't it? How we respond to them. Absolutely. So the thing I got from that was face the fear, but in a nice way, like small steps. Yeah. Face the fear whilst getting the credit. Now, uh, safety behaviors in exposure therapy are the one I, I, the one the things I hear a lot, particularly on social media and stuff like, I've been doing the exposures and I've still got this anxiety, this driving anxiety. And I'm like, okay, well, well done. First of all, facing your fears. Let's see where the brain is failing to acknowledge that you're getting the credit for driving. And then this is when the safety behaviors come out. So it's like every time I get anxious... I have to open a window. It's like, why? 
because I might get more anxious. Well, then your brain's not fully learned that you can tolerate that anxiety. Everyone can tolerate that anxiety, believe it or not. Some people are quite harsh on themselves and be like, oh, no, I can't. But yes, you can. You can. Do it a bit at a time. So I always talk about the willful tolerance of uncertainty. You get good at it. It becomes a skill and you start to learn that you can tolerate it. Anxiety is not nice. I don't, there's no like sit. I don't like the term sitting and accepting. Like, no, I'm not going to accept it. It feels like crap. Why would I? But I'm going to tolerate it. And that's what I can do. The thing that gets in the way are these safety waves. So I would be like, if I started to panic on the motorway, I'd take the next junction off. Well, well done for getting on the motorway to me, for me. But then I'd be like, well, I've just thanked the amygdala there because it's given me a false alarm that there's danger. And by me acting like there could be danger, I've just thanked it. Next time, obviously a shortened version, next time I go on the motorway and feel this panic, I'm sat in the slow lane. I'm like, no, I'm going to actually go in the middle lane and panic a bit more, you know, and my hands are going to be a bit cold and wrong, you know, hands are going to be a bit clammy and all that, but it's fine. I'm not going to lose control. If anything, my perception is going to be even more attuned because it's the fight or flight response that our ancestors used. They're going to be more attuned to predators around them. They're going to be more aware of what's happening around them. Um, and that's what happens. And that starts to pass a little bit at a time. Obviously, build up to it. If you're someone who can't, won't go anywhere near a slip road or anywhere near an A road, you build up to it a little bit at a time. And sometimes that means just going one junction. One junction without safety behaviors. Might be 30 seconds. Might be a minute. Without safety behaviors, you've done some brilliant rewiring there and keep building and building and building. You'll have setbacks, but in general, that's that exposures the way through that. If you've been in an accident, a traumatic accident, which is rare and stuff, you might need some intervention from a trauma specialist, you know, and have trauma interventions like EMDR therapy and trauma therapy and stuff. Again, that's quite rare. You know, most people in car accidents do not develop trauma and PTSD, but some people do. And if that is you, know that there is treatment options for you as well. And you will be ending up doing that exposure therapy as well. So there's no way out of that. So I think what jumped out for me there was what about the people? Because there's always people when who say yes, but yes, but yeah, the yes, you know, but me, <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. but. Um, so I completely agree, but so <laughs> so the yes, but that I thought of there was that there was somebody who says, but my anxiety is so bad. I think I'm going to pass out or crumble to pieces or have a heart attack. So what do we say to them? Well, no one's ever died from a panic attack. Um, I hear a lot of people, my anxiety is worse. Um, and sometimes, yeah, because they're probably surrounded by people who don't experience that disordered level of anxiety, the fear of fear itself. You know, And maybe they're around family members that get a bit frustrated and they're like, well, what have you got to worry about? One in five people have that form of inwards disordered anxiety. I've been there. Um, I was so anxious at one part, part, part of my life, I didn't leave my house for a year, never mind my room. This is how I know driving anxiety and agoraphobia are linked. I mean, I, would, I was so scared. I didn't eat. I didn't sleep for a year. I know what panic's like. I've been in the A&E four or five times with ECGs and stuff like that. What was happening is I had a phobia of anxiety itself. So not only was I getting the initial fear, so everyone gets anxiety, but you get secondary anxiety. And pe most people driving anxiety will have this. So these yeah. are the people that are on their Apple watches looking at their heart rate. There's another safety behavior. If you've got an Apple watch and you're looking at your heart rate, get that crap off your wrist. Yeah, it's not helping. It's, yeah, 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 yeah. Do not rate why, you know, and, you know, uh, do not do that um, and stuff like that. It's um, that's a safety behavior uh, yeah. and stuff like that. You can do it. Your anxiety is not worse than anyone else's. If you've got a chronic condition and stuff, maybe you've, um, maybe you're steroid dependent, or maybe you've got um, type one or two, two diabetes, or a thyroid condition. Of course, you know factor the stress of anxiety into the management of your health. But in general, your anxiety is no more than anyone else's. It's supposed to be terrifying. It, the whole point of anxiety is to make you doubt. That's the whole point. It's the most powerful thing that's made humans the most powerful predator ever to walk the planet because of this doubt mechanism. We're rubbish at fighting predators hand-to-hand -hand combat. We can't run away from predators. 
But because of a doubt mechanism and an analytical brain, we can spot predators from thousands of miles away or threats. So, you know, imagine your ancestors on the Serengeti. I feel doubt. Why? What's up? I just feel doubt. I feel like I'm in danger. Okay, well, let's have a look around. Oh, yeah, there's a pride of lions. They've not spotted us yet. Brilliant. Let's have a Lion King themed barbecue later because we can sneak up on them or pass, or, or pass them or whatever. That literal doubt mechanism is what makes us so incredibly powerful as, as a species. And it's never evolved over thousands and thousands and thousands of years. So when you're having a panic, that's the very same doubt mechanism, but then the amygdala is, per, is perceiving anxiety itself as a lion, so it's adding more adrenaline. So yeah, you probably are experiencing more anxiety than the conventional person, but you are also experiencing the same anxiety as one in five people who experience panic attacks and disordered anxiety. Your anxiety cannot get to a level where you lose control, you pass out, unless you've got like vagal, vagal syncope, but again, that's rare. Um, no, you're not. that's not going to happen. It, you, that doesn't happen. What a rubbish response that would be yeah. uh, if you passed out in response to threat. Can you imagine that? Yeah. There's a bear, it's chasing me. All right, I'm just going to collapse. All right, well, yeah. we wouldn't have evolved at all, would we? You know, <laughs> yeah. And if anything, you, you collapse when your blood pressure drops. Trust me, if you want to do an experiment at home, but not compulsively, um, <laughs> be sit in your car when you're anxious with a blood pressure monitor. You don't drop. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't drop, yeah. I yeah. can try that. I've got one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, don't you freak yourself out like I was? Oh my! God. Yeah, I'm oh, yeah, yeah. It's because you're anxious. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. oh, yeah and I, that thing about people. Yeah, people are constantly checking their watches, aren't they? Checking their what's my heart rate? What's this? What's that? So, yeah, and yeah. you're teaching the amygdala that the threat response is dangerous in itself. So these are people that were usually scared to do exercise yeah. because they don't like their heart rates going. And now you're going into panic disorder territory, which is I'm afraid to panic. Anything that reminds me of panic, I will avoid, including driving. Um, yeah. and, and that's why panic disorder, agoraphobia, driving anxiety, they all come under the same umbrella. And when you realize, actually, this is a form of, this is a fear of fear, and my behaviors are maintaining that phobia, okay? It doesn't get worse. You just get stagnant. But remember, you can always take steps forward where you have to get the credit. There's no point driving down the street, being petrified, and then your partner is sat next to you. Cause, and then if you end up saying, oh, thank, you know, thank God my partner was next to me, then your brain hasn't learned that you tolerated anything. You know, oh, thank God I had my bottle of water as I wouldn't have been able to cope. Well, then the water gets the credit. You know, yes. Oh, thank God I had ice cubes to put on my wrist. Do not do that. I The, the ice cube thing, it, 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 so I'm not going to get angry on your podcast. Uh, but, <laughs> but in general, no, because your brain will then attribute the credit to ice cubes as opposed to yeah. your bravery and courage. The ice cubes didn't note, you know, like, don't, 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 don't do that. Uh, and stuff like that. Uh, oh, thank, thank God there was, I was, I was nearer the hard shoulder. Otherwise, you know, I could have, wouldn't have done that. Well, the hard shoulder got the credit, not you. A little bit of time. Very passionate about that. Hmm. Yeah. So really watch out for those crutches. And if you're using, you know, if there is something that you, that's a crutch that you're using and you feel you can't drive without it, then you're not overcoming your own anxieties. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people may have many crutches. So I would say take one away at a time. Yeah. Don't just go in blind. Just be like, oh, I've got many crutches here. Yeah. Actually, I'm going to take one away and see what happens. That's really good. The brain will start yeah. to rewire. Oh, okay. Well, you can function with five crutches. Oh, you can function with three crutches. You've got one crutch left. See how you can do it. That's fine too. Yeah, brilliant. Mm. I'm just going to jump in here to let you know about our Drive Calm journal. We've created a 12-week prompt journal to support our listeners to take action and improve driving confidence. The journal includes questions, prompts and exercises to create an action plan and an opportunity for reflection afterwards. Search Drive Calm on Amazon to take a look. We hope it helps. 
you've just sort of like gone poof with my brain at the moment. It's, it's like a little volcano going off and I've got loads of different things. And I can't think of a question at the moment because there's loads. <laughs> but I'm going to take the credit for that because I'm rewiring my brain. There we go. There we go. Yeah. good. Just touching back on that. What we we've talked loads and loads about anxiety and crutches and the different things going on. That coming back to that mystery anxiety, we only touched on that very briefly, didn't we? The fact that this can be other things, and you mentioned it that it could be something that happens while you're driving, but it could also be a thought about work or something seemingly random. Mm. So I think that's important just to go back to a little bit for those listeners who feel that they nothing happened while they were driving. So there's somebody in particular that I'm thinking of who is very well known, who has said that they were driving, they've always been happy driving, nothing happened while they were driving, there was no driving incident, but suddenly got whammied out of nowhere. The stress doesn't have to come from the driving itself, does it? No, I'd actually argue that most driving anxiety starts nothing to do with the car. Um, I often use an analogy, um, which is not mine. It's not necessarily original, but I honestly believe that to be the cause of most most disordered anxiety, never mind driving anxiety, is that we have the stress bucket, the stress jug. I call it a stress jug. You know, if you go on Instagram or TikTok, there's someone obviously using it, using the same analogy. But I... I do like this analogy because it's, it describes almost the beginning of every person's disordered anxiety, phobia, phobia, a misfiring threat response is the thing we're going to talk about. So if you're driving along, suddenly you feel anxious for little to no reason or an over, uh, what feels like an overreaction to a thought, this is because our stress jug has filled up. The proverbial straw broke the camel's back. The stress has been building for ages. The size of that stress jug is dependent on genetics. So if your mom and dad are anxious, then sorry, you probably got a very small stress jug. Mine's very small. Got to be mindful of what's in it. And yeah, often when we're driving, we've got time to ourselves, thoughts. We can reflect, we can ruminate. Maybe we're a parent. Maybe something's going on. Maybe we've got relationship issues. Maybe we've got financial issues. Maybe we've got trauma from the past that we've not spoke about. Maybe we're going through grief. Maybe we've gone had unprocessed abuse. Maybe we're in a work system where we're being treated unfairly. Uh, maybe my child, eldest child's poorly. Maybe my neighbor's keeping me up at night. Maybe whatever. This keeps building up and up and up. A mixture of worry and stress, worry and stress. And it's fine. We're built to tolerate stress. However, when I was talking about the amygdala again, which I always bang on about, when stress gets so much, the amygdala misinterprets that amount of stress as potential threat. So don't be surprised if suddenly you hear a loud noise on the radio or you just have a thought when you're behind the wheel. That was an extra drop, the final drop that made the jug overflow. The amygdala then steps in. You're not in control of the amygdala. You know you're not in control of the amygdala because it's that thing that wakes you up when you have one of those falling dreams or if you ever watch a scary movie. Ah, you didn't do that. you know. Uh, or if you step out into the road, accidentally don't look and you almost hit, so you step back. That's the amygdala. It's not you. Um, and it's also doing that here when you're behind the wheel. Mystery anxiety is usually when the stress drug is filled up, it overflows. And even the smallest thing. My nervous breakdown when I developed panic disorder and agoraphobia, I dropped a spoon at work and that was it. I was suddenly hit by this derealization, sense of doom, dread, something awful is going to happen. My hands look like clay, racing thoughts, horrendous existential thoughts. I thought I was going crazy. I was having a panic attack or an adrenaline rush. Didn't even know it was my first ever one. And actually, at the time, my stress jungle was so full. Some people then go down the, the route of, well, I've emptied my stress jug. I do this. I eat healthy. My gut biome is plus 5,000. I've cut out gluten. I don't drink. I do this and blah, blah, blah. I've gone to therapy. I'm of the oak of just do what non-anxious you would do. But the main thing for people with disordered anxiety and driving anxiety and panic disorder that keeps refilling the jug is the fear of anxiety itself. So you can do all those things and, you know, I did all these things and I'm still anxious. Well, you're doing it because you're not addressing your phobia. 
you're doing it with the magical wish that it will get rid of the phobia. You know, if I eat celery for breakfast and be sad all day because I've eaten celery for breakfast, <laughs> the antioxidants will make me less anxious. Well, then actually that's nothing to do with the amygdala rewiring adrenaline, uh, releasing adrenaline and cortisol into your bloodstream. You're not addressing the phobia. It's like I'm going to do Tai Chi for an hour and hope that I have no longer have a phobia of spiders. doesn't make sense. You know, um, and so what I say to people is that, particularly if I'm working with people, it's like, let's address the fear of fear first, and then yeah. we can go prodding around in your childhood or whatever and talk about your personal life. And then you can leave overcoming a fear and a phobia and also less weight on your shoulders. And then so you're less prone to having those spontaneous belts of mystery anxiety because your stress drug is overflowing. Yeah, that makes so much sense, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Yes. <laughs> I'm still lost for words. Yeah. I'm still lost. It's, it's like it's like leave me out the conversation now because it's just like oh. <laughs> I've got so much. But that's very similar to someone that has a work. You know, the workload is horrendous, and they've got this big task to do, and mm. they're feeling stressed about that. But going to the gym is great for that hour, but they're still coming back to that work, aren't they? You know, they they still coming back to the thing that makes them have that anxiety and that stress, and and that's the that's the, exactly the same with driving. Is someone that's trying to drive on a big roundabout that they feel nervous with driving around on little roads that don't have those situations on, mm. it's fine. But they're still going to have to deal with that stress at some point, and building it in little steps, little baby steps to be able to deal with that is the way to deal with it. But recognising that they are working towards that goal or dealing with that fear of that roundabout, whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and I think that's right. It's like you can you can distract yourself with stuff with the gym. Don't get wrong, go to the gym. It's good for you. Stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. By all means. But why are you doing it? Are you doing it for your overall wellness or are you looking for the miracle thought or cure? Don't do what I did for years. Tried everything. You know, are you there like pouring rescue remedy into my eyes so I don't become panicky on the dual carriageway? Don't do it. Doesn't work. You know, to the point where it's you. And this is one of the big, biggest questions I get asked is, what are, you, what, are, what are the best coping mechanisms and tips? I passionately believe that you are the coping mechanism. You it's your ability to tolerate uncertainty and those symptoms. When you do, and the brain recognizes that it was just you, it rewires itself, and you also start to get more confident and start to enjoy driving again. You know, when I drove to Portugal this year, I said to you before, in an electric car as well, so I was a bit like the natural range anxiety and charging some weird places. I was like, but that was fine because I wasn't phobia of driving itself. It was just like kind of natural anxiety. Um, but yeah, you can start to enjoy it again. You will get there. The brain is incredibly neuroplastic. You can rewire it, but it also likes patterns, loops, and behaviors. And most driving anxiety is is that basically. Oh, I think that really offers a a message of hope to our listeners <laughs> that it that it is possible. You can do it. So I, 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 sorry, I, I have like did it anyway. So a lot of the ones I do when I, I do hashtag did anyway. So I did it while I was anxious, and loads of them are driving anxiety. You can do it. And you, yeah. You're a critic, might be like, but I'm the exception to the rule. No, you're not. You can do it. <laughs> do it. Yeah, brilliant. So when we contacted you and asked you to come on and talk to us about driving anxiety, was there anything that you thought oh, I really want to talk about that, or I hope they ask me about that that we haven't covered? No, I think they're um, excellent questions, and I think it's a really important thing. It's, um, I mean, when I my old podcast, The Panic Pod, which I really enjoyed, interestingly, when you look at the statistics, the most listened to subject was driving anxiety. I thought, really? I've got some amazing stuff over there. Well, you know, and I was like, because it's so common. So I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you guys, are, you know, are talking about it. It's a really common subject. Uh, and and but and and thanks for covering it as well. It was really important. Oh, we're not to butter you up, but that episode was actually <laughs> so. Before we started this podcast, obviously you have to do your research, don't you? When you when you start a podcast, and so researching what was out there, it was that episode really was the one of the few good 
episodes about to, related to driving anxiety that I found. And it was that that we actually we recommend it to all the driving instructors who we train. So on oh, a, thank on you. A, no, so so a lot of those <laughs> listeners might be driving instructors. Where we thank you. That's, that's brilliant. Well, my latest podcast, Disordered, I actually take a more psychotherapy approach to it as well. Um, we're actually recording our, our driving anxiety on today. It won't be out for a while. Um, but yeah, um, if if you want a more up to date one, I enjoyed the panic pod one, but it's a, it's a bit it's a bit old now. It's a bit old now. It's a bit like oh, no, like, you know, you, when you listen to yourself from years ago, I'm like oh, you thought you were so funny. Yeah, you're yeah, really not. Uh, yeah, um, but yeah, they'll be on disordered. That's that's the that's the podcast that I use now. And again, if you can relate to the anxiety as well, the agoraphobia and stuff like that. Um, disordered is a, is a resource for you. Um, if you want, it's free. Just go and knock it. You know, go and listen. Fantastic. To yeah. So that's it. So, there so there's there's two there's two <laughs> podcasts where people can go and listen to Josh. Um, but he sounds better in the newer one. He's a, yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's, he's yeah. much better in the new one. Yeah, it's much just, more up to date. Josh's review is yeah. yeah. Much more up to date stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Great. We always ask our guests one final question, um, which is: When you were learning to drive, Josh, what can you remember? Can you cast your mind back to learning? What did you find the most difficult about learning to drive? I, I actually really struggled learning to drive a bit. I think I passed like sixth, seventh time. Uh, all the best drivers pass seventh time. Um, for me, it was um, feeling stuck, like I couldn't get past something and, and trusting that your brain will do stuff on autopilot. So I had to hyper-focus on everything, changing gears and doing that and, and going for the motions. And then for me, I was ready to do my test when I started to feel like on autopilot, I actually remember the t the test that I passed. I was just chatting to the guy. Uh, yep. He was just chatting about his son, his son's comedy career. I don't even remember doing the test because I was just chatting, and it was all on autopilot. Whereas the test I failed, I was like proper hyper focusing on everything and not allowing myself to to do it. And um, yeah, I just remember it. I was like, oh, that was nice. It was also nice that the that the that the the examiner was a nice person. I think some of them proper get off on the power, you know, sit there in silence. And like, you know, if, if you've got that person, I'm sorry. You know, yeah. yeah. It's not, just like, there's no, there's no anxiety like actually, I don't think as anxiety on a driving test. Yeah. Um, if, if you're one of them that that's afraid of kind of like anxiety itself, you're fine on your driving test. You're so busy trying to concentrate that you're not really that bothered. Um, but yeah, that's, that's why I would, I'd be like, this will get to autopilot. It's okay. You can do a lot of this automatically. Brilliant. And great. And of course, like you say, you've gone from that through all sorts of stages of liking driving, being phobic about driving, liking driving again, and driving to Portugal. So uh, the whole range, really. Mm. Yeah. Do you know, I love driving. It's great. It's great fun. <laughs> well done you, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> well done me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No I one's hope, ever said that. The for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great. So before we wrap up, Josh, where can people find you? How can they work with you? And obviously we've talked about how they can listen to you. I'm called Anxiety Josh on social media. I mostly work on Instagram, um, TikTok and stuff. Or you can type in Joshua Fletcher and you'll find me there. Uh, my website, schoolofanxiety.com, when you'll see all the stuff that I do, whether it's kind of books, the disordered podcast, and things like that, if you, if you, if you wanted to do to do any of that. That's what, that's what I like to do. Yeah, so yeah. Anxiety Josh. My mo I wasn't, wasn't born with the name Anxiety. That would be quite prophetic, <laughs> wouldn't it? And sadist of my mother. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, anxiety Josh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fantastic lovely well josh thank you so much i really hope that's been interesting and helpful for our listeners i think it's been great i, th I think it's been helpful for me as well yeah. you know yeah. not just it's been great so thank you very much for that oh thank you so much thank you it's, it's been great kev i really enjoyed that interview with josh didn't you it was great and such a nice person as well yeah uh, and some of the stories he told was yeah really good and yeah, I really enjoyed just talking to him, really. Yeah, it was brilliant. So what was your biggest takeaway? 
I can't say what was my biggest takeaway. There were so many, as you probably heard in the you know the, the conversation we had. But the first one is like we tell everybody really is baby steps, isn't it? Yeah. You know, just taking those little steps. One of the things that seems to be a common theme. Yeah, it, it's one of the messages that I think we try to put across in most episodes. So it's really nice when we invite an expert on and they say the same thing. Yeah, it's. I know that I'm on the right lines. You know, when I'm teaching people or we're, we're in the car coaching, whatever it may be. Um, but, you know, he mentioned that we're doing the right things when we get people just to sit behind the steering wheel. I won't say facing the fears like I did in the, in the interview, but you have to be scared. You know, you're facing those fears yeah. to a certain extent, but you're not going too far. You're just taking that baby step. So, yeah, that was one of my... Yeah, and there were so many things that Josh said that linked into that, wasn't there? It's sort of counterintuitive. I know that. But like he said, that feeling of fear is not the enemy itself. That feeling of fear is a normal, natural instinct and it will pass. And once it passes, to do the thing that made you have those feelings anyway or to tolerate a certain level of anxiety, it's that that rewires the brain. I mean, that's really important information, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's great. And it's, it's, it's so, so important for people that are anxious with their driving, know that it won't last. Yeah. You know, it won't last. And if you can just, you know, getting back to driving, sitting behind the steering wheel, if you can just get back and, you know, just sit there just for a moment, recognise it and... You know, it won't last forever, those feelings that you have. But then also say well done to yourself. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) definitely. So this comes back to the baby steps again. So if you're going to feel a certain level of anxiousness, this is why it's important to have a baby step. So it's not too overwhelming or so it doesn't feel impossible. But then coming back to what you just said there, the acknowledging that it was you who did it. Yeah, give yourself the credit. Give yourself the credit. Yeah, definitely. And I recognise that with some of the people that we've worked with and spoken to, talking about open windows, bottles of water, people sat next to them, having all of these. Well, actually, even having a driving instructor sat next to you. I mean, that is the ultimate. I called it a crutch. Josh called it a safety behaviour. It doesn't matter what term you use. It's all the same thing. So when you achieve your goal, when you achieve your baby's success, it's making sure that it's you who did it and you recognise it's you who did it. So uh, Josh used the phrase recognising it was your bravery and your courage. So owning that, it was your bravery and your courage that helped you achieve that. And I think that's so important. Um, and again, not just in driving, is it? Yeah. You know, I mean, I know it's we, in life. we are doing the driving podcast, but it's, it's, it is in life, isn't it? We, we take for credit that it was, if I didn't have my music on, I wouldn't have run that mile. When in actual fact, it's like, well done you for actually running the mile. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Great to have these things if they help you, but not if you feel that they're the only thing that got you through. It's you who did it. A couple of other things that came up for me was that word agoraphobia. I had never considered that before. But yes, that almost gives it a different position. Instead of, oh, yeah, they're scared of driving, they're nervous of driving. It's like, well, actually, no, you've got agoraphobic tendencies. And I think giving it a name... It is something that you need help with. It is something that might take steps to overcome. It's not something just to brush under the carpet and hope that it will magic away somehow. (laughs) No, it won't. It won't. And it's nice that there is something there that, you know, being agoraphobic, I can go and look at that and maybe deal with it slightly differently now. Yeah, but definitely don't use that as a label, as an excuse to not do anything about it. So Josh was really clear there. Associations can change. 
you can rewire your brain. So don't use that label as an excuse to not do anything. Use it as maybe a bit of a, a push to do something about it. The other thing there was talking about that we, you know, the whole idea of this podcast was the mystery driving anxiety. Where does this mystery anxiety come from? And Josh talked there about that accumulation of life stress and that sometimes it's just one thing and it can be really tiny, nothing obvious that was the one drop, the one thing, the the straw that broke the camel's back, the one drop that made the stress bucket or jug overflow and so factoring that in when you're thinking about if you had mystery driving anxiety what was going on in your life what was happening at that time and perhaps it was that general accumulation of life stress as opposed to seeking the the one thing that triggered the stress in the moment if you were going through a stressful time that will have been enough to have triggered that driving anxiety. Yeah, it does. It does affect your driving, doesn't it? Great. So we got loads from that and we hope that you get loads from it too. Let us know. Has it helped? What resonated with you? And definitely give this one a share to anybody else you know who perhaps you've thought about while you were listening. Perhaps you thought, oh, this might be relevant to them. Give it a share. Share this one out because we think it's really helpful, not just with driving, but with all sorts of things in life as well. And obviously, if you enjoy the podcast, then don't forget to subscribe, give us a follow, leave us a review, help other people to find the podcast so that we can get the message out to more people. Josh's contact details and our contact details are all in the show notes, as always. And so all that leaves me to say is... Until next time, have a great day, whatever you're doing. Thank you for listening. Find out about the different ways that you can work with us on our website, www.confidentdrivers.co.uk and begin to transform the way you feel about driving.